Good morning. Uh, what an awesome treat. Um, thank you so much. Uh, when, I, when I found out Courtney was singing, I, I was like excited. I mean, I remember all the history and have always enjoyed the passion that you have for singing and, and just sharing God's word through singing. So um, what an incredible blessing it is to be here to serve, um, share God's word, and thank God for music, right? Amen? She's just a very therapeutic. Um, I do have to say that as I was sitting down there, man, week after week that I come, or I, that I, the weeks that I do come here and I'm able to speak or sing, man, Ryan Long, I just allow him to, uh, you know, to lay it on me, try to take it patiently, turn the other cheek. Um, but I think it's time for an eye for an eye on this one. <laughs> uh, no, I... Um, I know Dave Beatty said, uh, what was it, 50 hours with Ryan? I thought to myself, try 15 years with Ryan Long. <laughs> um, there are so many, uh, I was thinking, what picture would I put of Ryan on the screen? And I thought, you know, it was hard in the youth group to ever take a picture of Ryan because he moves 100 miles an hour. It was just like a blur, you know, through most of our pictures. But I thought, huh, what, what pictures could I put? And I thought, maybe that picture where he dated my sister. Do you remember that, Ryan? wherever you're at, that picture, you remember that? Um, but also, too, I thought, well, I, I shouldn't. I need to be merciful, because if I put a picture of Ryan on the screen, people are going to think, why was Ryan in the high school when he was 10 years old? <laughs> like, no, he was 18 then. He was 18, so got to get him back. We, we go back and forth, but a lot of great memories uh, with, with Ryan Long. I know he has been a great inspiration to me, to my faith, and I know to many people, um, I, I don't think we understand how many people he's really had an impact on, so I am very thankful for him. Um, and about the hairless rat, Ryan, sorry that I care about all of God's creatures. Jeez. So anyway, uh, we're continuing our series uh, entitled Built Bowls Tough. Now, I have to be honest with you, when I say that, I feel like I should be preaching in a flannel shirt with a long beard and, you know, it's just a, a, with a gruff voice. Um, but we're, we're really discussing what it takes to build and strengthen our faith in, in Christ. And obviously, um, usually at the beginning of the year, it's a fitting time to, it's always a good time of reflection. It should happen throughout the year, but I think at times, naturally, we think of these things at the beginning of the year. Um, as I think about the topic that I'm going to discuss today, uh, I'm going to share just a, a few reasons why I chose this topic, because I know that a lot of you are probably wondering, I'm actually going to talk on study. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, who in the world would choose study? Uh, well, I'm a teacher, so naturally I gravitate towards study. Um, and, and I see the value of study in the lives of students, but also in my own life as a teacher. I see the value of study. I also chose this because as we were discussing next door in, in the church office, who was going to teach what, what disciplines we were going to take, this one just stuck out to me. And, and to be honest with you, God has been working this one in my heart even before we, we discussed what we were teaching. Uh, I feel probably in the last six months to a year, God has really just put his word on my heart. And I've always hungered for the word of God since I, was, since I started here at the church, but I feel um, now more than ever uh, just a growing hunger for his word and, and just a desire to continue reading over and over. Um, so that's another reason. I feel like when I chose this that night, I could have probably taught on it that night because it's in my heart. 
and hopefully I can share a lot of what's on my heart with, with a lot of you. Um, also, I, I have to just say that I am a teacher. I teach a high school, and I have the uh, privilege of teaching all levels of high school. I teach a reading class, so I know firsthand two things. I see the effects of illiteracy on students because I work with a population of students who, who struggle with reading. Um, some kids, before they get to me, have never even picked up a book in their life. Um, I've had many students that have never touched a book. That, to me, is sad to me because there's so much wealth in books, um, and as we're going to see in the Bible. Um, so I get all kinds of and you see the effects that illiteracy has on student lives. Uh, it, it has just ringing, rippling effects. But on the flip side of that, as a teacher, the, one of the greatest joys in, that I get to see in students is when they actually um, take a book and read it for the first time and find the joy in reading. There's nothing more exciting to me. And I have had kids that, again, who have not even touched a book, but then by the time they are finished or when you find them the right book, there's such a hunger for them to want to read more. And I hope that as we, we discuss God's word and getting into it, that we will always realize that, that there, as, as we get into it, and as you continue to read it and, and you persevere through it, that God will awaken new things inside of you, inside of all of us. I have to make a confession, though, as I begin and, and say this, uh, that as I was thinking about the topic, the name of this, this week, I thought, I, I struggle with it, study. Who really gets excited about study? Yeah, nobody that I really know. I'm a teacher, and when I say study, it's not that my kids aren't like, yes, you know, he's going to talk about study today. It actually brings a lot of negative um, feelings within kids and, and a lot of, uh, you know, he's telling us to study. Same thing, I, you know, I'll be honest, last week I know when they announced that I was speaking on study, I didn't really see anyone jumping out of their seats saying, oh, man, I've been waiting for someone to teach on this study. Um, but I hope we can look at it from a new perspective because I know that word carries with it a lot of negative connotations. So hopefully we can look at it in a new light. So I thought, why don't I change it to something that I think we all can relate with and that kind of brings about more feelings of joy. So I am actually going to call today eating. All right. That's what we're going to call. And even now, everybody's smiling. People put their phones away. They're like, okay, all right, I'm with you now. Um, but eating, we can all relate with eating. You, you know, it does, it's, it's something that we all do by nature. Okay? And when I look at getting into God's word, to me, that's what it is. God is feeding me spiritually, and I am eating that. Not to digress too much, but I thought, you know, well, if I call it eating, then I don't really see it as a discipline because who in here really has to discipline themselves to eat? You know, I mean, maybe we have to discipline ourselves to eat well, you know, or to eat healthy. But you never hear anyone say, dang it, I forgot to eat today. Oh, man, this week I forgot to eat. I need to get better at doing that. Um, that's, we just, we don't have to discipline ourselves. Eating is a natural response of the body when it becomes hungry. And it also, the body has to replenish itself. It has to sustain itself. So by doing that, we eat. And to me, spiritually, when we get into the word of God, that is what we are doing. We are eating. And I feel that way, especially in my life. I've realized that, that if you have a hunger for God and a hunger to become Christ-like, then naturally, hopefully, that desire to eat will come. And sometimes it's hard. It's difficult. But pray. Pray for that desire to come into your life. 
So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and we're going to call it eating today. Um, Jesus said in John um, chapter 6, verse 27, he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Peter seemed to understand this because he, he understood this food, because he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, where else will we go? Because we know that you have the words of eternal life. Oftentimes throughout the Bible you hear the, the term, you know, and, and we have it even uh, in our churches, uh, our daily bread, the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus referred to himself as the manna or the bread that comes down for, from heaven to feed us. And I thought about that. I thought how awesome that Jesus would say that because really when you're eating and you're nourishing yourself and you're in the word, it is Christ that it will bring us to. That as you eat and as you process God's word in your life, that that is where we are headed, towards Christ. His words give us that life, and they bring us to him. They conform us into his image. So we're going to call it that, eating. And he used that analogy a lot throughout, or it's used throughout the Bible a lot. So we're going to discuss this. And there's a verse that has stuck out to me, even like I said, before we met. Uh, um, before and, and discuss this. There's been a verse that has been ringing in my mind and in my heart for the past few months, and I want to share that with you. But before we do, why don't we open up with a word of prayer? Lord God, we uh, just come before you humbly and just ask that as we hear your word today, as we hear the message, um, Lord, my job here is just to share the word, just to put it out there. It is you that opens men's hearts. It is you that opens men's eyes. It is you that puts that desire inside of us, Lord. And we just pray that right now that you put that desire inside of us for your word, that hunger. Father, we thank you that we can come here. We thank you that you love us so much that you don't want to just feed us physically, but you want to feed us spiritually. You want to give us life. We ask that you bring that here now. We pray this in your name. Amen. The verse I'm going to read or the, the, the book I'm going to read from is Matthew chapter 4. And many of us have read the story. Before Jesus began his ministry, he was led out into the desert to be tested uh, by the enemy. The Spirit led him out there to be tested and tempted. And we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Incredible. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what makes it more incredible is the context that these words were spoken in. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and for any of us that have fasted for any amount of time, you know that even going a day without food can sometimes be very trying physically and even spiritually. But there are some that have even gone beyond a day and fasted more, and the effects that it can have on the body and on the mind are, are many. So Jesus being out there 40 days and 40 nights was hungry. I think that's an understatement. He was st probably starving. And the enemy seems to know where we're the weakest because we know as human beings that when you're physically weak, those are the times too that you're often spiritually weak. And the enemy knew that. And so he was going to attack Jesus at his weakest points. And so he said to him, all you need to do, you are the son of God. All you need to do is turn that stone into bread. 
I'm gonna be honest with you, if that were me out there, I mean, the enemy probably wouldn't even have to tell me to turn the stone to bread. I probably would have just eaten the stone, you know, and taken a bite out of that because it's, I can imagine how difficult it would have been. But Jesus knew in his heart and he knew that if I turn that stone into bread and I eat that, that's just a temporary fix for a deeper thing. And that's why he said, man shall not live on bread alone. It's not bread that sustains you. It, it may for a little while, but eventually you'll need more. But we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God because it is those words that truly sustain who we are. They give us life. Jesus understood this, and he was able to combat the enemy with these words. Instantly, we see how important God's word is in our life. And not just this word or that word. Every single word is in our lives. Jesus wasn't here making a good old recommendation. He wasn't saying, hey, you know what? If you want to be a good Christian, maybe you should consider studying a little bit. If you want to be a saint or a super Christian, maybe you should get into God's word. And you know, before, when I was younger, I used to always think that those who studied were only those who really were super Christians. But Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. He was speaking to everybody. Believer, non-believer, he was saying, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I have a lot of people that have said to me, whether through their words or through their life, I don't need God's word. I'm doing fine without God's word. Look at my life. I've done a lot of things without God's word. <laughs> and a lot of times I want to say, you don't understand what you're saying. Because we can go on believing that, but I'll tell you what. The only reason we have breath in our lungs today and, and food in our stomach is because of God's word, because God spoke and breath went into our lungs. And it's because of God's word that we still continue to breathe today. Through his word, he sustains everything. His word is enduring. And a lot of times we tend to forget that, and we're gonna see in the Bible, this is a natural human tendency to say, we don't need your word. We don't need to live by it. But we fail to recognize that even when we don't recognize him, his word is still sustaining us. Isn't that amazing about our God that even those who reject him, he still chooses to sustain them and he will continue to. Amen to that, huh? Jesus understood that. And he said, this is what, I mean, and, and as we look at that, this is why it's very important that we know the word of God. But I'll tell you what, it can't stop there. It's not enough just to know the word of God. It's we have to push farther and understand the word of God. We have to understand the God behind those words. And I'm going to explain why because we see why in the verses that follow. In verses 5 through 7, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I want you to take a second to look at that and see if you can figure out what's going on. Look at how Satan is tempting Christ. He does a couple things. Number, number one, he says, if you are the son of God, Again, he's testing him. He's not just pulling out any old, you know, any old temptations out of the air. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly why Christ is here. 
And he's saying, if you're the son of God. But not only that, what does he do? He throws scripture at him. And as we look at that, we have to say, we've got to understand how cunning and crafty the enemy is. His goal in life is to confuse. Because if he can bring confusion, then things go crazy. And so he throws scripture We see him quoting the Psalms. And since the beginning of time, as you look back into the Garden of Eden, when God said, do not eat from that tree, and Satan comes in and says, well, really, did God really say that? And he throws confusion into people's lives. He's made a destructive habit of saying things, of taking truth and twisting it, and then throwing it back out at people. And so he uses that with Christ. He tries to trip him up by throwing scripture at him. Because after all, how could Jesus argue with the word of God? I'm going to trip him up by using his own words against him. And if he denies this, then he's going to be denying God, right? Jesus understood. Jesus was able to combat him. And you want to know why? Because Jesus didn't just know the scriptures. He understood. He understood the scriptures, all of the scriptures. He understood the God behind the scriptures, and that's what's important. He understood God's heart. He understood God's intentions. He knew God's plan from beginning to end. We know that he spent a lot of time in the scriptures, in God's word. And so he knew. I know my wife very intimately. If someone were to come to me and say, man, did you hear what your wife said? And they could take her words and twist it. But because I know her so well, I could probably say, nope, that wasn't her. Because I understand my wife. I know my wife's heart. I know what she would say and what she wouldn't say. And Jesus understands the heart of God. And he knew. He knew what Satan was up to. He knew what the enemy was up to. And he said, no, I'm not going to tempt God. That's what you're getting me to try to do. And so he combated that. It's important that we understand the word of God. That we don't just know it, but we diligently seek to say, God, help me understand. And you may ask, well, how do we do that? Well, there are many ways, but here's where I would say, start by praying. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe, and I don't have it up on the screen, Paul talks about how God sends us his spirit, that it is the spirit of God that reveals to us things of God, the deep mysteries of God, the things that if without the spirit of God, we would not even understand or comprehend. We should be praying for that spirit every day. God, help me to understand, not just read your word and know it, but to understand what it means, to understand you, to understand your heart. And pray for that diligently. And there are other things that we can do as well, but I would always say start there. It is God who opens our eyes. Jesus understood how important it was to understand the word. And he told the people, and and we see in it, actually we see in his example, how he was able to combat temptation in the desert with scripture and with understanding and with knowledge. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The interesting thing about this verse is that Jesus was actually quoting it from the, from the Old Testament. And this to me makes it even more powerful is the context that it is used in the Old Testament. Because as God was bringing Israel out of Egypt... Okay, we know that the only reason why they came out of Egypt was by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. And when he brought them out, he said, I want you to pay attention. You need to listen to me. Every word that I say, you need to, to follow me. Because if not, that's when you go to the right and when you go to the left. That's when you begin to stray. You need to pay attention to my word. 
And so these words come from Moses, and we're in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So God is saying, remember how the the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you know what, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God just didn't bring them out in, you know, out of Egypt just to say, you're free now. Go ahead and do what you will. He had a plan for them. He had told them, I'm going to build you up into a kingdom of priests because I want you to show the world who I am. But I, in order for me to do that, I've got to train you. So he, he takes them into the desert. And the same thing with Christ. Isn't it amazing that Christ, even too, had to go through the desert to be trained? So he takes them through the desert. There's times that he feeds them. He gives them stuff. There's times that he takes away. And it's amazing that we just sang that song. He gives, he takes away. And he says, I give and I take away for for a purpose and for a reason. Not because I'm some cruel God who wants to play games with you. Some cruel parent. He says, I do it because I need to test you to know what's inside of your heart. But number two, so that you understand that the bread that you're eating right now with your mouth is not the bread that sustains you. It's the bread that comes from heaven, the bread that comes from my mouth, that carries you and will continue to carry you. I just thought of this as I was kind of sitting down there. It's amazing how, and and we all can probably relate to this to some degree or another. If you follow after God, he's going to bring you through the wilderness. Some of us are there now. And to be honest with you, as I was praying, I thought, to some degree, I think, I I believe that God is bringing me through a a sort of wilderness. For some people, it's spiritual. For some people, it's physical. Whatever, it may be relational. But if God is going to use us, he has to bring us through the desert. He brings us all. Because he wants to know that if you're going to come through and if you want to be used by me and you, want to, and you want to move forward with me, I have to know that every word I say, you are going to follow after me and you're going to press into me and you're going to come after me. God says that. And he keeps saying that to Israel. He brings us into the desert to help us realize that it's not my car, it's not my house, it's not my nice iPad and my video games and entertainment, reality TV. He he brings us through to help us realize those aren't the things that sustain our life, though we think they are. What sustains our lives is his word. And sometimes he has to strip everything away to say, are you going to come to me? Are you going to press into me? He brings us through that desert, and he did that with Israel because he loved them, and he said, I want to know that you're going to be faithful and loyal to me, that you're going to follow my word when it's easy, you're going to follow my word when it's hard, because I promise you, God says things at times that are difficult for us to take. As a parent, I don't just speak all nice things to my children. I have to raise them, some things they don't like. But I have to know, are you going to trust me as your father, that when I tell you this and I tell you this, that you're going to trust me? And that's what God asks of us. As I move on, I just want to say, and I, I didn't share this last service, but uh, I have the privilege of having my family here um, who have always been very supportive, but my uh, little sister is here. i got to try and say this without getting choked up. <sighs> she came back from Brazil and uh, 
spent, what was it, six months in Brazil with, with uh, the very poor and, uh, and with many people who are in the slums who don't even know God. And I know, sorry, for her, God brought her through a desert. I mean, it was very challenging for her. I mean, to leave everything and, and to go to a place that you don't know the language, you're living off very little, and you're around people who, who just are, are lost and who are seeking love in, in places that are beyond what we can even imagine. But I know she would um, call and talk to me and just say, you know what, I don't, you know, this has been a challenge for me, and I know God is working in me, and I just saw you push into God. And that, that challenges me. Sorry. So, and, and it reminds me of the desert that I'm in now. Because I say, God, I'm going to push into you. And that's what he's calling us to do. And some of us are there. You can relate with this. And I promise you, if you're not there, you will be there. Because God has to continue to test us. If our heart is for him, he's going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to refine you. And we should want him to. Amen, huh? <laughs> she was able to make that, make it through by the word of God, you know? Because there were days she didn't know what she was going to do. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to feel. But she pressed into God, and, and she's been an inspiration. And God will continue to do that for us. And so I say, if you're there in the wilderness, just say to God, I want to trust that it is your word that's going to pull me through this. Your word's going to sustain my life. You know, as Moses shared this with Israel, you know, you'd like to, you'd like to think that Israel, after all that they saw in the desert, that they, they said, okay, God, we, we understand. We're going to obey. They didn't. Because like us, they're human. Like us, they sometimes wander off like sheep. We go astray. And so they did. Before they went into Canaan, they lacked trust in God. But even in the prophets, as you read, they completely deserted God. Especially Israel, but not just Israel, but Judah. When the kingdom split, both of them went their own ways, and both of them ended up abandoning God. They left his instruction, they rejected the manna from heaven, and she began to starve. Both of them began to starve, spiritually. And the prophets speak of it, and the prophets, the prophets are very clear about what it was that caused them to starve. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, My people go into exile for their lack of knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude is parched with thirst. So what do we read? They go into exile because of lack of knowledge. And it even says it's not just the weak ones. Their honorable men are famished and parched with thirst. Isaiah 1.3 says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know my people, or, but Israel does not know and my people do not understand. Hosea, which this whole book is about how Israel just left God to the point where he called her a harlot because she was so unfaithful drives this point home. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel, 
For the Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of this land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty. No knowledge of God in the land. Swearing, lying, and murder, and stealing, and adultery break out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see what happens? You let go of the knowledge of God, the understanding of God, and soon we are left to our own ways. And we know what that looks like as human beings. This next part just sends chills to me. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Verse 14, again, even more. So the people without understanding are ruined. Look, if we believe this is the word of God and that the word of God is truth, then we have to take these words and we have to say, we've got to take these to heart. That if we want to reject the word of God, then naturally by consequence, we will be ruined. It's not because God wants us to be ruined, because he's cruel and he's waiting to punish us. Because he's saying, if that's what you want, I'll let you have it. But then you're going to realize really quickly what happens when man doesn't depend upon my word. You begin to kill each other. You begin to go after things that do not fulfill. You starve yourselves to death. Some of you may know this, but in the 1950s, there was an experiment that was published by Ansel Keys and his colleagues at the University of Minnesota to show the effects of starvation on the body. That was the purpose. So to opt out of the war, men could come join this this study. And 100 tried out, but there were 36 that were selected. And these 36 were healthy, strong men, psychologically, physically, in all areas. And for the next six months, they were going to take away or cut back on their calories and pretty much starve them to see the effects of what starvation does to the body. Very interesting. Listen to some of these findings and see if you can find a parallel. Psychologically, men were affected in many ways. You know, when you, 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 sometimes they would start hallucinating or they would start desiring things that never before in their, life, their lives have they ever desired. It says this, in addition to cookbooks and collecting recipes, interesting, uh, some of the men even began collecting coffee pots, hot plates, and other kitchen utensils. According to the original report, hoarding even extended to non-food-related items such as old books, unnecessary second-hand clothes, knickknacks, and other junk. Often after making such purchases, which could be afforded only with sacrifice, the men would be puzzled as to why they had bought such more or less useless articles. They're starving. They chase after things that are absolutely meaningless. And then they, they stop and, why did I buy this? Why did I purchase this? It goes on. It talks about a man who became, who had a compulsive attraction, who developed a compulsive attraction to trash, to refuse. A compelling desire to root through the garbage cans for food to eat. He became emotionally disturbed Enough to seek admission, voluntary, in a psychiatric ward. He went on a spree of shoplifting, stealing trinkets that had little or no intrinsic value. He developed a violent emotional outburst with the flight of ideas, weeping, talk of suicide, and threats of violence. I mean, it goes on and on and on. There were reports of depression, irritability, anxiety, frequent outbursts of anger. Many of these men were stable as they came in and as this experiment went on became very unstable, developing anxiety. Apathy became very common. 
and some of the men started neglecting their personal hygiene. Socially, they disconnected from each other, felt no need to be a part of community anymore. They lost their sense of humor and even a sense of purpose in a sense. The volunteers reported impaired concentration, so cognitively, their concentration started to fail. Alertness was going. Comprehension, when people talked to them, they couldn't comprehend what was being said to them. And their judgment became tweaked. Physically, they had a drop in body temperature, heart rate, and respiration. I mean, obviously, we can go on and on, but hopefully as you listen to that, what an, uh, what an informative study on what the effects of starvation does to the body. But as I thought about that, I thought, what an incredible parallel for what the effects of spiritual starvation does to our society, does to our spirit. And the more and more I thought of this, and I looked at this study, I thought, you know what? To me, sometimes this reflects the society that we are headed towards a society that is starving spiritually. You know, it's been said that the worst kind of famine that you can be in is a famine where you think that you're full, but you're really starving. And that, to me, explains a lot of sometimes who we can be as a nation, thinking that we are full, but yet starving. You know, one of the best parts of teaching is when I get the opportunity to take the content that I'm teaching and ask the kids, to think about and reflect about how that content plays out in their lives, how it relates to them. And as we sit here today and in the next few weeks or every day that we come here to church, that should be our goal is to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? What do you want to say to me through this? We should self-reflect as individuals and as a church. And a lot of times that doesn't seem to happen, but we should always reflect, what does this mean to us? We, love, we live in a nation that is well-fed. I don't think that's a hidden thing to many of us. We have many resources, more resources than many people in this world. We have many luxuries, more than it, se- uh, more than it seems uh, that we know what to do with. And God has blessed us. We have a lot of physical manna. We have plenty of it. But sometimes if you look in people's lives, it appears that they're starving spiritually, that all that stuff does not make them happy. It does not sustain them. It almost makes them more sick. If you ask me why I think this is the case, well, obviously we've taken the word of God out of our diet. Some have little by little, others completely. And it's not just me. There was a poll done by Barna that states that 77% of Americans would agree that there is a moral and value decline in the United States. And you know what they say that the cause of it is? 77% said they believe the cause is because we have gotten away from reading the Bible. So people recognize it. I'll close up with this because I know I've, I apologize for going over in time. But there seems to be a spiritual hunger in our lives. And like the men who are in this study, we see the effects. We start chasing after things that don't matter. And then we, we, when we get them, we're like, why, why do I have this? Why didn't it bring me what I wanted it to bring me? There's outbursts. There's depression. There's addiction. 
It's difficult for me, and, and even violence. We've become a culture of violence. There are frequently, almost every week, I have students come into my class, and the number one thing they talk about is that video on YouTube of those two people fighting. Isn't that insane? That we find an entertainment in, in people fighting and beating each other up. But they'll film it, and they'll put it on YouTube, and people watch it. And there's a new game coming out in New York, the knockout game, that people find pleasure in going and, and, and harming other people. We've become violent. In the words of Isaiah, the prophecy is coming true. His words, in Isaiah 5.20, it says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free, and they punish the innocent. I don't have to look very far or turn on the, the TV for very long to understand that we are starting to call evil good and good evil. Darkness, light, and light, darkness. And that's a symptom of a society that says, we don't need you anymore. We can sustain ourselves. When Israel, when Moses was talking to Israel, he, I didn't read the rest of the passage, but he warned them. He said, God wants you to know, to remember that when you go into that land that has plenty, that when, God, when you have your plows and your houses and everything, remember, do not forget what God has done for you because you want to know why. Because when you do, that's when you begin to become prideful and say, look what my hands have created. Look at what I have succeeded in. And that's where we're getting when you forget the word of God and that he sustains you every word out of the mouth of God, then we become a society that is corrupt and is becoming destroyed. So I just say this. My hope today as we think about all these things is that hopefully it will push you into the word. Above all, that you will dig into the word and you will see that it's not a good suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's if you want life, you've got to dig into the word. If as a church we want life, it has to be under God's word. He has to feed us. And I pray that we take it into our homes. One of my biggest convictions and challenges is I've been a Christian for as long as, or my, for as long as my kids have been alive. And it's not only until the last six months that I've started reading the Bible with them, which is embarrassing to me. Because Jesus said, you know what? What father, if his son asked him, would give him a stone? What father would give his son a snake if he asked him for food? But yet I've fed my kids stones or I've allowed the society to feed my children. And we're seeing what happens. I pray that we as parents say it is our job not to just hand them a Bible and say good luck, but to say let's read, let's understand, let's dig in so you can understand that God's word, every word of it from beginning to end is what sustains you. Amen. I'll leave us with that. Jesus in his parable of the seeds said there was a seed that fell on good soil that represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. We see the negative effects of losing God's word. But I say, let's be a church that says, let's bring it back. The best way we can change this word is, world is to get into God's word. Young people, the best way you can change people in your school is to start reading. Let God's word change others through you. It will happen. Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, thank you for the word that you are bringing to us today, the word that is enduring Though the flowers and the grass of the fields pass away. Peter told us this. Your word endures forever. 
Nations can rise against it. They can try and put it away. They can try and falsify it. But your word will endure. Lord, may we hang on to that and press into that as we are going through the desert and when we are in plenty. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you very much.